So now we'll introduce Baruch She'amar. I don't believe we'll have time to do a full uh, examination of Baruch She'amar tonight because there's many different versions of the text. There's many different um, readings into the text and different systems. There's, you know, systems which have 10 Baruch, systems which have 11, 14, 16, you name it. There's a lot of work to do before we get to see the rest of Baruch Shamar. But we should begin with the basic history. Baruch Shamar is a bracha. <laughs> it is a bracha, which is a bracha that we say on Pesukei de Zimra. And the Rishonim, like the Tzedal Ederech and the Torah Mincha, compare it to the bracha that we say on Hallel. Just like uh, Hallel HaMitzri, the, the, uh, the Egyptian Hallel, the one we say on Chagim and Rosh Chodesh, has a bracha at the beginning and at the end. So too, Psukei de Zimra has a bracha at the beginning and, the be- and a bracha at the end, like, uh, like Kriyat Torah, that we bookend the mitzvah with two brachot, one in the beginning, one in the end. We know that there's some form of mitz- almost a mitzvah, or a takana de Rabbanan, to say Psukei de Zimra every day, which was learned from the derashah of Simlai and Brachot, which says, um, that, and then he should be mitbalal, that a person should always arrange his shvach and then pray, which is why they were mitakein to say Pesukei Zimra first. So because this is a form, almost a form of mitzvah, we say bracha before and we say bracha after. Now this bookending of the bracha creates a situation where in this section it would be forbidden for us to interrupt. Because we're saying a bracha at the beginning, a bracha at the end, you can't just speak in the middle of Pesukei de Zimra because then you would be making hefsek. And so it's a sort to interrupt in the middle, whether it be Mesiyach or to make any form of significant interruption during, between Baruch Shamar and Ishtabach, and many say even between Ishtabach and Yotzer Or, which is based on the Midrash. Now the Shuchan Aruch and Mishnah Barah bring this halacha, but they do um, point out that if one needed to answer Amen, or Kedusha, or Modim de Rabbanan, they would be allowed to in the middle of Pesukei de Zimra because it doesn't have the same string- stringency as something like Shimon Esrei. They do not say that if you interrupt that you have to make a bracha again. They just say that you would interrupt for Amen. You would not interrupt for Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo because Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo is a recent innovation. It's not something that you're allowed to interrupt for. Another thing which is unique about Baruch Shamar is its format. We generally don't find brachot written with a generous, lengthy introduction before it even starts Baruch HaTashem. When a, when a bracha starts, it usually starts, like, let's say, Asher Yatzar. It starts, Baruch HaTashem Kinim HaCholam. It has the content, and then it has a, an ending. And then at the end, it has the Chatima, which is, Baruch HaTashem, Rofei Chol Basar or over here, Melech Lulah But over here, the beginning of Baruch Shamar, the composer of Baruch Shamar obviously had the confidence and the knowledge to write an, introduct- an introductory paragraph, which is nearly, I don't know, 50 words long, uh, maybe 30 words long. And this would point to the composer of Baruch Shamar being very, very early, because none of the later um, uh, sages would have had the confidence to write a bracha, especially a bracha in an in a, in a innovative format or a bracha of such length. So this begs the question of who wrote Baruch Shamar. Now, this is also not just a question, it's also a problem, because the Achronim point out that we have a rule that we don't say any brachot which are not mentioned in Talmud Bavli. If there's a bracha which was not mentioned in the Gemara, we will not say it. 
So, for example, this is why we have controversies about saying, the Temanim told today, don't say it. Uh, we don't say, Saradim will not say, Baruch Shasani Kertzono with Shemu Malchut. We don't say, Baruch Hashem Kemachlam Shasani Kertzono because it was never mentioned in Talmud Bavli. We don't make up Rachot on our own. That's a rule. It's brought in Rabbeinu Yonah, brought in the Rush. So, if Baruch Shamar is never brought in the um, Gemara, how could we say it? So, many have answered to this criticism with a very simple answer, and that is that the Gemara is not a Sidur. And it's not the Gemara's job to provide us with a, uh, with a written transcript of every single tefillah, the same way it doesn't write out the entire Shemona Esrei. We can't expect it to, to write out Baruch Shamar. Um, but, back to the question, who wrote Baruch Shamar? So, the Tikkun Tefillah, one of the researchers in the Yotzotah Tefillah, he identifies the language as obviously Mishnah, uh, obviously the language of the Mishnah. I mean, anybody who's learned Gemara or went through enough Mishnayot will recognize the expressions used here, the Hebrew used here, this a- complete absence of Aramaic. So it would point to something much earlier than the Babylonian um, exile. Uh, he brings examples from all over the Talmud where it says, for example, Misha Mar Vehaya Olam or Baruch Gozerum Kayem. Baruch Hailad V'Kayam Lanetzach, all different languages which are used throughout the Gemara, which sounds like almost they're borrowing from Baruch Shamar, this language. The, one of the most fascinating sources is the Tolat Yaakov, one of the Mikubalim, who cites a Sefer Ozarua. And we don't have this in the Ozarua, but it's in the Tolat Yaakov. He says that there's a tradition from the Mikubalim, there's a Mesora, that a letter, a petek, so to speak, fell from Shemayim. And the Anshei Knesset HaGdola received this petek, and they, based on this petek, wrote Baruch Shamar, almost as if it was composed by heaven. Furthermore, the Talat Yaakov says that um, we have the Mesorah, that we should say it when standing, that the Hasidim V'anshei Maisa Maaseh would say it when they were standing. So if this is true, if this Mesorah, this uh, tradition is accurate, that would mean that this was indeed written by, by the Anshei Knesset HaGdola, the original composers of the Tefillah, so the same people who wrote Asher Yatsar, and who wrote Shmona Esrei, also wrote Baruch Shamar and Ishtabach, and that's a very, very plausible um, idea. Very, very uh, likely that it's true. The Zohar in Chilak um, Bet, Reish Tetvav Bet, also discusses Baruch Shamar, and he discusses it in the context of the four of the four Tikkunim. There's, we know that there's four Olamot that we ascend and descend, um, throughout Tefillah, from uh, Asiyah, from the world of action, higher into the world of Yetzirah, which is the world of formation and speech, to the world of Briya, which is the world of thought and, and, and creation. We've discussed this before. However, when he speaks about Olam HaYetzirah, the Zohar clearly speaks about Baruch Shamar. Now, this is already time, from the time of the Tanaim, so we could already trace it at the latest to the time of the Tanaim, as, as long as we attribute it as an authentic Zohar. Others would criticize that the Zohar was first written down in the 13th century, so this is not a proof, um, but because sometimes it was interspersed with things that are, we know for sure that the Zohar was sometimes interspersed with almost contaminants from people who were writing that shouldn't have been writing, and therefore we can't know for sure that this means that, that, uh, that Baruch Shamar is that old, but it's again very, very um, weighty proof that Baruch Shamar is extremely early. Lastly, the Sefer Yuchsin, which is uh, written by Rabbi Abraham Zakut, which was also a... Rabbi Abraham Zakut was a 
a philosopher and a mathematician and an astronomer, and they named the crater on the moon after him. You know, a Jewish scholar who lived about five, about 650 years ago, wrote a Sefer Yuchsin, and if I might be having the numbers a little off. Sefer Yuchsin is basically a book of history. He also was a historian because you had to know everything back then. And he wrote a book of history from, I think it was from, from maybe from Matan Torah until modern day. And he brings in a lot of historical facts that we wouldn't have known without him. And one of the things he speaks about is the um, ceremony which they would, that which would take place in the academies of Bavel when they would appoint a Reish Galuta. Reish Galuta was like the president of the community, usually a very big Tamit Chacham or somebody who was greatly respected by the community. There was the, always the, I think it was, the, they divided it by the, the two Roshi Yeshivot, one of Surah, one, one of Kumbadita. There was two Yeshivot in Bavel for the longest time. And in between them, the, there was two Roshi Yeshiva and the Reish Galuta. The Reish Galuta was like the political leader. So when they would appoint a new Reish Galuta, They'd make a whole party. It would be start on Thursday. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd have an officiation ceremony at some rich man's house. They would have a sudah day after day. You know, they'd make a fancy party through the night. And then Friday, they'd do, they would continue celebrations. And then he mentions that on Shabbat, it would be a very festive occasion in the shul. Uh, he, like, he describes how the, the, the rabbanim, the Rosh Hashivas, would come and bow to him respectfully. And then they would... They would take their seats at the at the the head of the Beit Midrash. Um, I believe, like, the two two Rosh Yeshivot would sit by his sides, and then he would sit in the middle. It was he was clearly more than just a political leader; he was also a religious leader. So, they mention that the tefilot the tefilot of Shabbat were also special upon that ceremony, and the Bachurim and the Kahal would sing the tefillah in a special, responsive way. So one of the examples he gives is that when the Shliach Tzibur would say Baruch She'amar, they would reply Baruch Hu, like this choir. And then he would say Baruch Omer Ve'oseh, and they would reply Baruch Hu. And they would go on and they would go on. And Nishmat Kol Chai, and they would reply to Varechet Shimcha. It was going to be a very fancy choir-filled um, ceremony. Now, the only reason I bring this up is because the time of the Rosh Hashivot and Surah and Pumpadita was the very least, uh, whew, the very least 16, 1,700 years ago. So that's a very, very long time ago. Now, the Sefer Yuxin was only written 650 years ago, but again, we have on good, on good sourcing that Baruch Shamar is very old. Now, from a scientific study of Baruch Shamar, sci- the scientific study of any tefillah means we know nothing. Tabula rasa, let's do start with a clean slate. I don't care what anybody told you. What's the earliest place that we ever see it written. What's the earliest place that you ever find the words Baruch Shema written? Prove it to me. We don't care about Mesorah. So if you want to go that route, first of all, there's a riff in Brachot, Chavkim uh, Aleph, in the riff. The riff himself, this was uh, almost 1,100 years ago, uh, speaks about Baruch Shema. He says that there's a bracha at the beginning of Pesuch Tizimran, and bracha at the end, Baruch Shema and Yishtabach. So that's 1,100 years ago. But much earlier than the riff, we have a Tshuvat HaGeonim. In the Teshuvat HaGeonim, I think we've brought this up before, there was a question sent to Rabbi Natronai Gaon, who I believe ruled in the 8th or 7th century. And he, the question that was asked of him, what happens if you show up to Shul late and you didn't say Pesukei de Zimra yet? And the Kahal is already almost up to Yotzer Ar. So he replied, 
that I have a Mesorah from Rabbi Moshe Gaon, who was the Gaon before him, that what a person should do is as follows. You get to shul, you say uh, Baruch Shamar, you say Ashrei, then you say Ishtabach, and you catch up to them with Yotzer Ar. Uh, tangentially, I mean, the, the, uh, I mean, so that's obviously the, a very early source. That's already uh, probably the 6th or 5th century. So a very long time ago, 15, 1600 years ago. Now, tangentially, the, the, the Rabbi Nuyana speaks more about this in Chavkim Omar Aleph in the Dafei Harif. He speaks over there about what the halacha would be. I think it's over there that you would, that you would, um, if you if you absolutely cannot, uh, if you would if you had to make it to to catch up to them, you would have to go straight to Yotzer Or then you should skip Suke de Zimra entirely, and you should say you should say all the Mizmorim after Shmona Esrei. That's what Rabbi Yonah holds, but I don't think he. This is, this is what his Talmidim said he held. It's not clear if he said every word of that because in the Gaonim, they say that this is a very fascinating idea. We, ha we haven't really explored this before, but the Gaonim say, and this is a tradition, that it's a gnai, it's disrespectful to pray first and then say shvach. If a person misses Psuke de Zimra, you're not allowed to then after you finish Monastery. Why is this? Most likely because it's hori. It's as if you're, it's as if you're, you're praising that, as, as if you, you're, all your tefillot are accepted as if you're the, the holiest person on earth. So therefore, the Gaonim hold, we do not repeat Psuke um, Zimra after, uh, after Shemona Asrei if you miss it. If you miss it, you have to catch up to Yotzer or you miss it. Uh, most likely the Minhag of most people today is to say Ashrei anyway, just because there's a there's an inyan of saying Ashrei three times a day. So after Shmon Ashrei, most people will say Ashrei, but they won't say Baruch Shamar because those are brachot and it gets complicated. Okay, that's so much for the history and the sourcing of Baruch Shamar. Now let's introduce, Bezat Hashem, the ideas. The Rishonim um, preface, I think it's the Ravan and, and maybe the Shibole Haleket, if, I remember, if I'm remembering correctly. They preface the Baruch Shamar with an interesting thought. They say that now that we have finished the section of Tefillah where we upkeep the world and we sustain the world with our Torah and our Vodah, at this point, we begin to praise the Hashem, the Creator who created it. Now, what does that mean that we, where we finish the part where we're upkeeping the world with Torah and Tefillah. That means obviously the first section of Tefillah where we where we say Berkata Torah and we say uh, we learn all the, the parts about the Tamid and we do a lot of Limu Torah. We learn Zvachim, we learn Pitumak Torah, and we say all sorts of prayers. Once we're done upkeeping the world by, by learning Torah and upkeeping the world by doing Avodah, now we begin to praise the one who created the world. So now, if you think about this for a second, it sounds chronologically backwards. Shouldn't we start with praising the one who created it and then upkeep the world that he created? Shouldn't we start in time? <laughs> so meditatively, though, even though chronologically it doesn't make sense, meditatively it does make sense. Because we discussed before that we're rising up here from a world of action, a world where our mitzvot are in, in this universe, a world where everything is done with yad. We do our talit, we do our, we do our talit, we do our tefillin, we speak about the korbanot which we would bring. This is the world of action, the universe of our world, and the universe of, of a tefillah which relates to the world of action. From this point on, we're cutting off. Psuke de zimra, we're being mizamer. We're cutting off and we're going into a world, a universe of consciousness which is higher 
then the Olam HaSiyah. This is known as the Olam HaYitzirah, which for our purposes, all that has to mean is that it's a world of speech. It's a world where our consciousness is a little higher than action. It's relegated to speech. It's called the Olam HaYitzirah because it's a world of formation. It's where there's a, a, a form of connection with the divine. It's a world of angels. It's a world where we can connect to Hashem and we can connect to the world higher than that. So once we start... What I believe the Rishonim are saying is that once we have finished with the Olam HaAsiyah, we rise higher to Shvach, which is using a consciousness of our mouth, to praise Hashem who created the world below us, and we're going a world higher. The Nagidim Tzuveh, which is one of the Tamidim of the Rabizal, if I remember correctly, he says that the first four letters of Baruch Shem Olam spell out the word Bishaveh which mean equal or comparable, comparable. And he says that this teaches us that when we praise Hashem, the upper worlds and the lower worlds are equal in our benefit from Baruch Shamar. When the Jewish people praise Hashem, it's not just a benefit for our world. It's not just bringing bracha into our, our world. It's also bringing bracha, so to speak, in the higher worlds. It's also amplifying some spiritual conduits in the higher world, and there's a dynamic relationship between our world and the world above us, and above us, and both worlds benefit. So that's why when we start Baruch Shamar Olam, we begin with this teaching that this is we're uniting with the world above us in our praise because we're doing it for the two of us. The Ramah, um, in his Sefer Torah Ta'ola, points out that nowhere in Baruch Shamar do we dress Hashem Benochach, uh, in, in, at least in the first paragraph. We don't. We don't speak to Hashem directly. We don't say Baruch Hashem Shamar Baruch Hashem Shamar Olam. We don't say we don't speak about Hashem in, in, in the um, even in the third person. We never say his name. The reason for this, Drama says, is to teach us, of course, that we cannot relate, especially when we're talking about Briat Olam, the creation of the world. We cannot relate to Hashem's essence. We cannot possibly. Um, try to praise Hashem in His essence and who He is, we can only praise Him as we perceive Him, through His actions, through His benevolence to us. So when we say, Baruch Shemar Vahaya Olam, we speak of Him completely in the third person anonymous. Blessed is He who spoke and the world came to be. Which is a fascinating idea. Fine. So another idea brought by the Rishonim about Baruch Shemar is they point out that Baruch Shemar in the authentic Girsaot, which we'll have to examine next week, has 87 words. And the, the, the Siman, says the Torah, the Torah brings a, a, a Midrash in, in Hechalot, which is something we, a Midrash we don't actually have in our versions, that says that the, the amount of words in Baruch Shamar is 87. And furthermore, the Siman, to remember this, is the Pasuk in, in Shir Hashirim, Rosho Ketem Paz, that the, the head of God, it's the Mashal, is, uh, is adorned with the finest gold. This is the Siman, to remember, 87. So as we said before, that when the Rishonim say numbers, they are not simply spitting out numbers or mnemonic devices for us to remember things. Paz is a very specific, um, a very specific number. And the Mikwalim talk about this, and there's a very, very hard limit to how much we can say or how much we can even look at because this is a very, very high, um, lofty ideas. But the, the Shara Kavanot, that in Od Yosef Chai, a page Ein Zayin, he explains that Pezayin is important because it is, uh, it is um, 
Pezayin is important because it represents certain Shemot of Hashem in a combination, which represent the Sefirah of Keter. The Sefirah of Keter we're not going to discuss deeply, but it's a Sefirah which is a quasi-Sefirah. It's an, it's an attribute of Hashem's actions, which represents His will. Like when we speak about the tefillin, we speak about something above the head, above our wisdom, something that comes prior in, in human thought, that comes prior to wisdom, is will. And that's why Keter is, is considered a crown. It's above the head in the Midrashim on Shemot Rabbah, uh, uh, Perak uh, Parashachet, and in uh, Shira Shirim Rabbah, Perak uh, Perak 5, uh, Perak uh, Hey, it says also, it speaks about what kind of crown does Hashem wear. It says, Rosho Ketem Paz. What, what's the Atara that Hashem wears? Uh, it, it brings this Pasuk for Rosho Ketem Paz. Very lofty ideas. It also says, Rosho Zetora. Uh, Ketem Paz, that's Divrei Torah. One is the, the es- one is the, uh, so to speak, the essence of God's wisdom. The other are the, are the, um, let's say the, the uh, actions of Hashem's wisdom. Very lofty ideas that the, that the Midrash is talking about. But why are we bringing this? <laughs> let's, let's get back, get back down to our world. Why are we bringing that Rosho Ketem Paz, 87 words? And why does it matter that it's Keter? And that's because in the Olam HaYitzirah, according to the Mikubalim, there are different Tikkunim that happen um, in, every, in every world, and there, there are different Tikkunim for every Sphira and for every elevation, and this and that. So they point out that the Baruch Shamar Bracha is a Tikkun of Keter. Whatever that means, it's a Tikkun of that Sphira, and um, Baruch Shamar represents that level. And we know that the, in the Sha'arei Orah, he says that in the Torah, when we refer to Hashem, in whenever when it uses the word who to refer to Hashem, Hevav um, Aleph, that's always a remes to Keter, which is why we say Baruch She'amar Vahaya Haolam Baruch Hu, because we're talking about this uh, Tikkun of Keter. Furthermore, the Magid Varav the Yaakov says that the ket, uh, Ketem is an acrostic for the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, which says that, that there's Shloshak Tarim Yesh, there's three Ketarim, Keter Kiuna. Keter Toran, Keter Malchut. Kuna, Toran, Malchut are Ketem. There's three, there's three Hashpa'ot, there are three ways that we could receive divine influence from Hashem in the system, so to speak, of Hashpa'ah from Keter, and that is a, a manifestation of Kuna, Torah, and Malchut. Okay, um, that's almost uh, basically finished. Um, the, the, we should know that there is a halacha that we hold the tzitzit, the front two tzitzit, when we say Baruch Shamar, this comes from the Arizal Shar Kavonot for a whole reason of tying in Asiyat Yitzirah. Again, a Kabbalistic idea, which is why we hold the tzitzit during Baruch Shamar. Um, lastly, I forgot to add this, so I'm just going to say it uh, at the end, is that I saw, I did some research using a computer, Oter Chachma, to find earlier sources of anybody who found anything about Lamanat Seach. Uh, you know what, I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> I could append this to the other shiur, but... I forgot to say this in the previous shore, which is that um, the, the, some have quoted the Rokeach as, as having written about the Mizmor HaMenorah, which is also an early source from at least the 11th century for the Rishonim actually having been aware of the Mizmor HaMenorah.